0: Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Um, It's been a very interesting international break. Um, Misguided, some would say, uh, and I think most people would would probably agree that it's been um, a a troubling time. just outside the world of football as well, um, with with a, a spate of coronavirus cases in football squads, but also in um, the public health arena as well on the rise. Um, but I suppose it hasn't been all bad over this international fixtures uh, break because uh, you know Scotland qualified for their first major tournament in 22 years. Um, North Macedonia qualified for the, for the European Championships, their first major tournament ever. Um, but less so, I suppose, if you're a Northern Ireland supporter or a Liverpool fan, for that matter. You know, in that case, it has been kind of disastrous. Um, today, chewing the fat with me, uh, I've got David Cartledge making uh, a return to the podcast. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to David. Um, and, and I'm really looking forward to getting back into discussing some Spanish football uh, once again. Um, Dave, how are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to to get chatting again.
1: Yeah, man, it's been a while. It's uh, it's nice to be back on and uh, to discuss club football as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, to get back to the old club scene, um, which I think most people are looking forward to, despite you know their their international allegiances. Um, last time we spoke, I think it was it was around the beginning of of lockdown one in the UK. Um, you just moved into a new place and you were settling in, um, if I recall correctly. Um, how are things at at your end in that respect?
1: Yeah, yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah. I'm just in uh in, in Fulham and uh yeah, God, it feels like ages ago now and so much has happened since that last podcast. Um so yeah, yeah, I think I just got in just about the right time. But um I miss getting the the train over to Brentford and uh going to see the lovely Brentford player. Um that's the one thing I'd probably say I miss the most from, from living around this area. <laughs>
0: Yeah, everyone's got their little uh, their, their their little habits that they they used to get up to, whether it's going to the the little uh, local coffee shop or that sort of thing, um, or in your case, going to see Brentford, um, which again is is. I mean, I think a lot of people will resonate with that not being able to go to the stadium. You know, even if it was just yeah. even if it was half full, I think a lot of people would just would love that um, definitely that man. Atmosphere.
1: Definitely, because yeah. I didn't get to say goodbye at Griffin Park properly as well, because obviously Griffin Park oh, yeah, closed. Um, during obviously we went fans weren't allowed in. They played out their last games, and then they got to the playoff final, and then once that was all over, the new season started in their brand new stadium, which again is really really close as well. I um drive past it quite often. Um, I I, have, I haven't been yet. I haven't even had a look around it yet. So that's something to look forward to when when normality is resumed. Um, but still. I don't know. There's 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 pieces of Griffin Park still left up, so that there's there's still the nostalgia from there, and still the fact like just that real sadness and regret that didn't get the goal for a few more games. Cause um I would I was seeing them week in week. out had a season ticket, and um so it was <laughs> it was a shame not to get to see them again.
0: Yeah, it would have been a lovely little send off that if, if they'd been able to, especially with the way that it, it finished. I know ultimately they did get to Wembley and lost to Fulham, but, you know, that Griffin Park would have been absolutely bouncing the night that they, they got yes. through to the, to the playoff final. Um, do you know actually what they're going to do with sort of the four pubs that that are on the corners? Because I know that it's, it's quite a unique ground in that respect.
1: Yeah, I think ones are already gone and closed down. I think like that's it. I'm not too sure um, to be honest. It's going to happen with the rest of them, um, and I'm sure even away from having a stadium around the back of you, a lot of pubs don't really know what's going to happen with themselves uh, these days. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was a great experience, and, and and that that was one of the best things, if not the best thing actually. You know, apart from the, from going into the ground and the match itself was that for pub. It was it was very old school. It very felt like something that time had kind of forgotten um in the modern football area era where there's restaurants and hotel complexes and, and and such around stadiums now in all the brand new shiny stadiums um that they still were like that and they still there was a place as well a, a family um sold uh, chili dogs and such on their on their front lawn for a couple of quid which is just unheard of in London you know things like <laughs> um so there's little things like that were just made it really really nice and and you know you look at that new stadium and it's different, and yeah, they had to do it. They had to move on, you know, to to for a financial perspective, you know, because obviously, as people who be listening to this know, Brentford are unbelievably reliant upon player sales. They saw Watkins, they saw Ben Rama, uh, in the summer they managed to keep a lot of players, but they they generated a lot of money from those two. and that was largely due to the fact that they played in a small stadium, um, have a small wage bill, and then the feel is that you know moving to the new stadium they can generate a bit more money and and hopefully. Key players in in the future that they have, maybe a little bit longer before selling them. But uh, the recruitment model still stays the same, which is, you know, something to be admired. And the same goes for the style of football as well, which you actually went to the ground to to see. And it was always a pleasure watching them because you weren't just seeing, you know, from football or taking an atmosphere. you actually watching a really good side play as well
0: yeah i'm i'm certain that um when when we do get the opportunity to get back in there you'll be in the new the new stadium um which is yet to receive its proper name i think um probably yeah. for sponsorship reasons um but I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing your tweet of uh, a packed out new brentford ground sure. um with with them maybe playing in the premier league by that point who knows um, it, that that 's not not outside the realms of possibilities um but if, if for anyone who does follow david on twitter they 'll know that his um, his expertise does lie in in Spanish football as well. Um, and, and, you know, you, we, we've we discussed uh, La Liga in general on this podcast before. Um, we, we explored the Basque clubs last time and we spoke, of course, Athletic Club and, and Real Sociedad. And and now probably, um, if you don't mind me saying, it will be your, your mastermind specialist subject, Valencia, that we're going to get our teeth into today. Um, you know, we've taken our time to get there, but we've I think we've we've come down the increments a little bit. You know, we've gone from the league to two clubs, a, a region in general, to now to Valencia. Um, I'm, I'll happily be your your John Humphreys for the day, but yeah, are you looking forward to chatting uh, a little bit about Valencia?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is. It's it's funny since I've gone into Spanish football journalism and and watching Spanish football, it's always been seen that uh, Valencia my special subject. Um... So that's all. That's always funny. I, I did live there for a little bit, and you know, and and I've spoke a lot on the team over the years. So yeah, I'm always happy to talk about them. And uh, there's there's never really a, a dull minute of Valencia. Um, you know, I mean, we're gonna talk on this podcast, but it's one of those things. I think somebody could probably make a a Netflix series or a podcast series on one day, really, just about Valencia in the in the Lim era. Um, and Valencia, even if they went further back to when uh, Soler um, was in uh, charge as president and he kidnapped, he kidnapped the, the guy who he was replacing um, and such. So that kind of sums up what sort of thing, uh, <laughs> Valencia are in terms of the stories that they generate. But, but yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting them about them always.
0: Sounds a lot like a Spanish soap that does, um, yeah, someone yeah. being kidnapped in, in, in a position of power. You, you relinquish <laughs> power or I will take the club off your hands. That's sort of, you know, very dramatic, but poor acting sort of uh, sort of vibes that I'm getting from that. But um, yeah, my understanding of, of Valencia, you know, is, is sort of, you know, the, the background that I feel like a lot of people in the UK will have, you know, historically one of Spain's more successful clubs, um, even in spite of sort of, the, the Real Barca duopoly uh, in the country. You know, they've they've won La Liga six times. They've been runners-up six times. Um, they, they were really successful under under Rafa Benitez mm-hmm. um, at sort of the, the turn of the millennium and the start of the 2000s, you know, with, with Copa del Reyes UEFA Cups, that sort of thing. And I suppose as well, you know, you've got the Mestalla as well, one of, you know, the, the most charming and, and storied grounds in, in Europe. You know, it's got a rich history. Um, you know, uh, it, it's not been a great week for Northern Ireland fans, but their 1-0 win over Spain at the 1982 World Cup was at Mestalla. You know, the the famed um, steep stands in the upper tier, which just makes it feel as though the fans are literally on top of the players. Um, you know, very similar to, to what Highbury was like for Arsenal. Um, but I think more more recently, you know, I, 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 i'd say fallen on hard times but i th- i suppose every club has been impacted by the the coronavirus pandemic um but it's i think a lot of that could be um could be down to sort of the business decisions and management decisions of of peter lim who you just touched on who is uh um, valencia's singaporean billionaire owner um he's he's been there for about 6 years i believe um but yeah there's been a bit of a managerial merry go round in his time there um and and this summer in particular uh, is kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back that's the reason that I wanted to discuss this this podcast uh, this this topic on the podcast uh, with you Dave, because um you know there's, there was something of a fire sale um and there's been there's been bubbling discontent for a while at the club um, I think it's fair to say from from an outside perspective um but you know the sales of key players is is never going to go down lightly um uh, and and I think yeah that's um, I was kind of looking forward to getting your uh, your opinion on sort of the recent history of, of Valencia and, and perhaps why it might not be going too swimmingly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Peter Lim came in and he came into a lot of fanfare and for quite some time. I think you know you look at two spells in particular, and that was when Nuno Espirito Santo came in. Obviously, now Wolves, you know, um, he kind of created this swashbuckling exciting team uh, and, and a lot of the players who were in that team ended up uh, leaving, getting big moves away after, like some Mustafi or Domendi, you know, they 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 moved on and, and such after performing so well under Nuno and, and Valencia. So you look at that and that was a, a really, really good time and they were really energised and there was a feeling that they could perhaps be the new Atleti in the sense that they could challenge the, the traditional big two of Barcelona and Real Madrid. Um and they could even potentially take over at as that third team, you know, challenging. Um and then you look at Marcelino as well, who uh, went on to deliver them the the Copa del Rey, um and 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 really really created just an unbelievable link, I think, with the fans that no other coach had, even Nuno to an extent. I think Marcelino was a special man at Valencia. Um, not only delivering that trophy but just generally the the identity uh, that he created there and the the, the unity and, and and the love that he created there um it w- it was astonishing and it's something so rare at Valencia i think um to 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 find that and Marcelino you, you know as well as being such a i think he's a really profound tactical presence he's also a very very good man manager um and and he did he created that love and unity and players just went to the death for him um which was, which was marvelous, I thought. And when he went it, it, before he went, shall we say, you could see that some the, there was always rumblings um, behind the scenes of what was going on with Lim. Uh, he' over reliance on uh, Mendez, the agent uh, to get players in to get players out. Um, and there was always rumblings. and then when everything kind of kicked off with Marcelino in terms of him wanting certain players in, Lim overruling him. Marcelino wanting to take the club to the next step after winning that Copa del Rey in 2019, um, there was a feeling that you know Marcelino wanted to take them to that next level, and he felt that he could as well. And, and it wasn't, and he never got anybody he wanted. I know he wanted uh, Rafinha um, from Barcelona, but that deal was vetoed because Lim uh, and his people felt that his his injury history wasn't good enough to justify bringing him in. Um and, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Um they, they you know, they, they tried to convince Marcelino to stay. They had you know, they were making desperate dashes um you, you know, from Singapore to Valencia to try and convince him to stay and such, but never really worked out. Um there so he went um, you know, they brought back their old head, Voro as well. Presence around the club, historical presence around the club, is kind of an interim guy. He's been in, had several spells, just coming in to to steady the ship. They brought in Solares as well. He worked out for quite a while, did some nice things with some of the players, but ultimately, he's I don't think he's a very good coach. He, he got found out. He was somebody unwilling to change his his style or progress a team. I think. Um, and then they they find themselves where they are now, with uh, Javi Garcia. Um, the lovely, lovely man, Javi Grassi, a really nice bloke, very good coach as well. Um, And he is left with this squad that has been, you know, found itself in the, with a fire sale in the middle of it, basically assets stripped, left with a lot of young players, left with a few odds and sods as such in the squad. And he just has to do the best he can with it.
0: Yeah we've we've gone about it in sort of a roundabout way but you know that is essentially the the crux of this podcast is that there may not have been um uh, good circumstances which have led to it but hmm. ultimately Valencia probably find themselves this season with with one of the younger sides in la liga because those younger players have been asked to step up um simply because the likes of danny perejo um condogbia have have been sold in in key positions um and I think you know the, their their recent form reflects that you know because they, there's been a bit of mayhem recently you know they lost three or three on the trot then drew two two with hetafe you know red cards um last minute goals penalties. Um, a game in which Yunus Musa became the youngest uh, foreign player to score in Valencia's history, actually, and we'll get on to talking about uh, Musa in a, in a little while. Um, and then, obviously, followed up with with a four one win over Real Madrid, of all people. Um, you know, a hat trick of penalties for for Carlos Soler. You know, it's it's utter chaos. So I, I suppose there's no better time really to discuss Valencia. And again, rather fitting because that's you know that's what they've been over recent seasons a bit a bit chaotic. Um, But, I mean, yeah, there there has been trouble, um, you know, uh, and and to be fair, that's reflected on the pitch. You know, only only three teams, Betis, Huesca and and Celta Vigo, have conceded more goals in in La Liga than Valencia so far this season, even though they somehow find themselves ninth. Um, You know, I suppose in my notes I've kind of said the club have been on something of a downward spiral. I, I think that's maybe a little bit unfair, um, given that I did plan this podcast a few weeks ago when they were on a three-game losing streak. Um, but you know, just just enlighten us a little bit more on sort of Peter Lim's role as, as the owner and how maybe it's contributed to to the malaise that's set in ever so slightly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it was just his desire above all to be involved with everything, um, the data, the running of the of, of the club. Um, I think during Marcelino's era, he, Marcelino, was, was growing in, in stature, um, along with the fans and within the club as well. Um, I think um, it started when a when, uh, few of the older guys were there. Um, they referred there, Amadeo Salvo. Uh, they, uh, you know, they had a certain amount of autonomy and decision-making power under him. And you know they eventually won a trophy because Marcelino had that much power and he, he was in this little team with Matteo Almini, um, the sporting director. And, and those two were sensational together. And I think when you get a sporting director and a manager on the same page, when it comes to players, when it comes to coaching style, transfers, just general direction, aspirations, then special things can happen at the club. you got that. And you know I left several tre- tweets about this and I said... You know, um, this team that they have got, they can just go from strength to strength. It's so key to have those two men. um, And then it all fell apart because Lim, I think, saw that they had too much power. Marcelino was Mar- a brash guy. You can rub people up the wrong way. And I think he rubbed Lim up the, the wrong way. And in turn, you, you know, things got bad between them. And their relationship soured. And then I think when... Lim saw that Marv Celino wasn't backing down. I think he was just waiting for any excuse to let him go. Valencia had kind of a rocky period, and then it was kind of all finished from there, really. Um, I, and I think that caused that's that when that when that happened, it was kind of the beginning of the end, and it led to this situation where we had this summer where we had a fire sale, where we had the club completely on the backside, out of Europe, nowhere near European football. Um, having to sell players again, having to bring those young players in again. There's been no replacements for the likes of Condogby, for for Cocalan, for Parejo. Even though he's a big player, there's been no actual replacements. It's been replacements from, from within. We'll touch on a few of these players in a minute, of course. Um, and that's been immensely difficult to to deal with. Marcelino, so they've gone from Marcelino wanting to buy players to progress them to the next level, to to say, look, we're Valencia, we can what well, the next step is? Champions League quarterfinals, semi-finals. The next step is maybe pushing on and challenging La Liga. Hey, Atletia maybe due a bit of a decline. Um, we can capitalize on that. We've got a fresh young squad here. We can really do big things. Um, and it just never went that way because Lim wanted more power. Lim wanted uh, his relationship with Mendez is key. You got to look at the players who come in, the players who go. A lot of Mendez clients. A lot of Mendez deals are done. Lim wanted to do them with Mendez. Marcelino had other ideas because Marcelino a football man, how football men, uh, you know, both them football men. And they wanted, you know, they understood football. They understand football. They understand the market. They understand Spanish players, players generally. Um, and they felt that Lim was maybe operating purely through, just because Mendes was a mid and it was working out financially well for Mendez and, and for Lim as well and 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 that just that's how everything ended there i think
0: yeah, it just seems that the relations seem to to sour really, really quickly um, towards the end, um, kind of falling off a cliff a bit. And, and the, I, I wouldn't say they're any better really with with Gracia either. You know, it's something like a three million euro bill. I think I read you, you say is if he leaves before his contract ends. And he, you know, he's just he's had the he's had the rug pulled out from underneath him with the sales of those key players. You know, you look at the squad from last season. You know, Rodrigo's gone. Um, Ferran Torres is gone. Um, are gone Coquelin, parejo you know there's so many key players that have gone there but I suppose you know the the, the topic of this podcast is is to to talk about young players and and obviously mm. those guys have those guys have come in and and to, to be perfectly honest to all, all club players Business and club politics aside, to be in ninth place after sort of nine games um, is is kind of uh, it's it's a it's a huge endorsement for for these young guys, and, and I mean we'll we'll touch on them in more depth. But I think the first one that I'd really like to discuss is, is Yunus Musa because he has sort of he he. he, he his name has been uh, catapulted into the stratosphere of late because, you know, he was a, at the start of the season, you know, he was, he's sort of a relative nobody, you know, somebody who was in Valencia's B team, the Mestalla team um, last season, who had a very good year. But at 17, there was, you know, it it would have been very, very optimistic to say that um, he would have been a key player or, or a key, uh, a regular first team player this year. But you know he's gone on to do that so far. He's been he's been fantastic. I love I love his weight. Uh, I love the ability that he has just to sort of bounce players off him. You know, it makes him sort of a very effective presence out wide, even though he, he doesn't necessarily have that much experience in that position um and and of course in, in recent recent days and, and weeks you know he's he's made his his debut for the US um, men's national team which is uh it, it's a completely other discussion altogether because he's got um, multiple nationalities that he can he can he's eligible for um but do do you, do you see Musa continuing in this team essentially
1: um yeah absolutely i think it's going to be difficult because Javi grassi isn't somebody who usually you'd associate with young players i think you associate him more with just getting a, a team together all on the same page, um, being very, you know, unified, uh, pulling together as one. But I think so. It's interesting that um, that Musa has come through in 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 this sense. In this sense, because you know, he's not the player that you'd associate with with this point in time at Valencia. I'd say you know. So the fact that I think you know, Grassi's had to had to work with young players um, this time around. Um, as opposed to, say, maybe free transfers and, and loan signings uh, and experienced heads and such. So Moose is an interesting project for him. And, and yeah, I think he, he plays, again, I think when you're this age, a lot of the time you do play without fear. You aren't really tied down too much by tactics or, or such um or, or or expectations. You can just come in and kind of play your football without being weighed down. And I think that's what Eunice Moose is doing at the moment. Um, And if he continues in the same vein, there's no reason why he he can't stay in the team and, and, and make that role his own, quite frankly.
0: I mean, yeah, he's been, you mentioned his age, he's, he's mm. what, 17, 18 years yeah. old um, and, you know, he's been, he's been important for Valencia in terms of sort of progressive carrying so far, um, so much so that, you know, he's matching the sorts of numbers that Gonzalo Gediz, um is producing, who's six years older than him. Um, but, you know, he doesn't, doesn't yet have sort of the refined, polished, top level player in him that I think, you know, um, that, that, that you know, regular La Liga players have in, in their armory, you know, he's, he's still very, very inefficient. Um, and I think, yeah, he he's going to be a fantastic highlight reel player because, you know, he does have that straight line speed. I mean, his goal against Getafe, you know, he just breaks and goes and goes and goes from, from the halfway line with the ball, you know, about five or 10 yards in front of him. Cause he's just knocking it in front with every stride he takes. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, he's still so young. There's so much still to learn, but he's certainly a, an exciting one who has sort of been thrust into the limelight through, you know, a, a mixture of, you know, other circumstances, but also the fact that he has simply, he's taken to life in Valencia very well since um, moving to the club from, from Ars- Arsenal's academy um, at the beginning of last season. So that'll be summer 2019. Um, you know, long-term, I hope there's a future for him there um, because I think, you know, I'm not comparing him to the likes of Jaden Sancho or Jude Bellingham mm. for one moment, um, but I think you know the, those those players who who have gone abroad uh, and 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 have done well. It's just they're nice stories. It's good to see that that, that it can be done as well, um, and I think you know the the whole culture change will be something which uh, which will be interesting um, if if someone manages to speak to to Eunice about that. Um, but I think. In terms of you know cultural changes, that they, they can't really have been much different um, for for the likes of Lee Kang In. You know he's he's seen a lot more time on the pitch this season. But I mean, if you if you're looking at sort of the nationalities in this in this Valencia team, he is the one that, that sticks out um, sort of as, as as the South Korean. Um, but I mean, w- what are your thoughts on 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 Lee Kang in? because um, you know we first saw him at well, not first saw him, but we, we saw him more extensively at the the under20 World Cup last summer and I mean we were, he was great, he was great featured in um, the, the the pullout section of our third handbook mm-hmm. um, because he was great with a, with a very arduous, laborious, industrious, um, career team, but I th- I'm I'm pl- I'm pleased that there is actually you know minutes um, for him at at a, at, a, at a La Liga club essentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I'd say is I think he should have been um, more involved with Valencia than he is now. I still feel like he isn't he's not established. If you look, he's played 388 minutes this season in La Liga, um, and I think there's a problem with that. Coaches see him as a a real luxury. In that they don't really know how to use him, whether to use him as a winger, whether to use him as a a number 10, um, you know, whether to use him deeper as well or as a second striker. So I I still don't think anybody has quite figured out what his best role is. Um, I think personally, he's best when he comes off the wing inside kind of an interior role that has become so popular in Spain over the last, I'd say, five years um, with those players who are placed out wide as a winger but essentially operate inside um, you know to, to link up with the attack um, and, and, and then form more of a solid base in the midfield a spine in the midfield and um, so I like him there and um, but Valencia just don't really seem to have the where and how to play with him at the moment and, and I think that's big I think like that's really problematic and it, you know you look at the story surrounding him, it still seems that he's unsettled, that his people around him are unsettled, um, that you know Valencia are unsettled with him. I think this potentially um, culminates with him leaving, um, whether it be on loan, I don't know, or a permanent deal, I'm not too sure. Um, but... Valencia, I, I don't know, I would play him more, I want to I see him more. I think he's an unbelievable talent, but I just don't think they know what to do with him right now, they never have, he, he's been with several coaches right now and I still don't think any of them truly know how to have, have really, really got hold of him, seeing what type of player he is and, and work with him, um, there are a lot of suggestions that he's a bit too tad individualistic, um, um cocky, um, arrogant, um, it, which is an interesting one. I don't know about that. Um, and 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 it's going to be interesting to see where he goes in the next. I, I think this season is really really big for him, and I think he'll probably look out in the next window and and, and just say like, see where his minutes are up to, and um, then and when this club is the the right place for his development.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that you'd have him playing off the wing because I mean Valencia don't typically employ the same sort of really advanced wingers that you might see um, in in other teams. I think um, you know it's 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 more of a four four two or more more of a four four one run really. And I think the, with seeing Yunus Musa being trialed out uh, on right midfield, you know that's probably because he's a bit more robust than than Lee Kang In um, at the moment. Uh, and uh, I mean that's I mean it's up to the whims of the coach, really, isn't it? You know, but I I, I personally think that um I, I, the best that I've seen from from him is is um is in the number ten or sort of as that shadow striker that that link player mm-hmm. um, because it, at the under twenty World Cup he he played really well, linked up great with Osehun who you know i i mean I, I actually don't know where he's playing right now uh, and i'm certainly not adv- advocating for valencia to sign him but he was very much a target man um who was i think similar to maxi gomez in in some ways you know kind of a lot of his success was predicated on his strength you know in in that same way that players like alexander mitrovic can just hold on to the defender's shirt and just hold them off while they're getting the ball under control um i think that sort of little and large combo worked really well um, for Lee Kang-in. I think, I mean, just if if you're looking at his statistics, you know, he he does seem like a link player. He doesn't seem to be that ruthless, um, you know, forward player. I I certainly don't think he should be tried any further forward. And I don't think he'd be very much use um, if he was used in a more withdrawn um, wide role uh, or withdrawn central midfield role. You know, he he still has that ability to create chances from from sort of breaking, uh, taking a pass and breaking the last uh, the, the the last defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was his assist uh, against Elche, um, a lovely through ball between bodies. You know, it, it it accentuates exactly that. You know, his his creative ability. Um, but it's a strange one to to hear what you say about how Valencia view him and how he might still be a little bit unsettled because in another team. I think he'd certainly be probably one of the more marketable assets.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the story is just even the last few days. Um, We were recording this uh, on Tuesday, the 17th of November. I mean, it was just an ask two days ago. And um, you know that they, Valencia are now pretty much considering selling him in, in January. Uh, Lim has decided to, to kind of do that, to consider that now because Kangin apparently reportedly turned down uh, Valencia's renewal offers for a new deal with the teams. Um, So he said, right, we don't want to let him go for free or anything like that, or we don't want to keep an unhappy player. So if there is interest, and as we know, Valencia are being keen on selling players to raise funds. um, And, you know, for whatever reason you believe, whether it be because of the COVID crisis and and needing the money, or whether it's because Lim just doesn't want... uh, players around that don't want to be there or just players he doesn't like so yeah they'll, they'll offer him one more renewal apparently in January when the window opens and if he doesn't agree he's going to be sold um, he's been offered a pretty decent salary as well but I don't think he feels that he's important enough like I said there's maybe something in that stuff about him being and um, you know arrogant or whatever and he's probably just wanting a bit more love and, and funnily enough before Ferran Torres left. Um, he, there was a feeling that he wasn't given enough love. They were throwing a bit of money at him, um. But he said he needed a bit more of a personal touch, um, of sorts. And I can see that similarly with Kangin Lee, um, exactly the same thing happening, um, and potentially going somewhere. And if he is available, then I think a team's going to get a really, really good player, um, and and you know if they can figure out where to where to play him, um, basically. But Valencia has never learned, you know podcast about Valencia, so we may as well touch on this as well. Valencia's never really been good, I don't think, with handling young players when it comes to their contracts and such. Um, Getting the most for them, getting the market value for them, they always seem to be underselling them. They always seem to be, you know, in a situation where they are leaving um, because they haven't, you know, sorted out their contracts or they haven't played them enough or they haven't, you know, for whatever reason. And it's happening again. It happened, like I said, it happened with Ferran in a very similar situation since we happened with Cangalina.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one because there is the potential that you could unlock a real, you know, creative um, spark and touch point in, in this team. But ultimately, if the player doesn't want to stay and if the, if the player believes that they, they should be taking on a more um, a more pivotal first team role, then essentially there's not really that much you can do because you can't, I mean, you'd hope that most owners wouldn't go over the manager's head and, and insist for that. Um but I mean, uh, I think a club could certainly pick up a bargain there if you know the Valencia can continue to undersell their players um because you know he's he's nineteen years old he's he's a South Korea international he's got i mean yeah he hasn't played loads in La liga, but he's got enough La liga experience to say that he's good enough at this level um we were talking about Yunus Musa not being as polished and refined um as as you know his his um his counterparts in this league, but I think in Lee is definitely showing that he is. Um, so there's, there's, there's some, there's something in there, you know, a club, if he does go in January, could certainly pick up a, a bargain there. Um, and hopefully um, you'll, you'll get that love wherever he goes next. Cause I think, you know, all talk about arrogance and, and stuff like that can be blown out of proportion sometimes in, in, in the media because, you know, essentially the play, these players are very small circles. So it's, it's a lot of hearsay. It's a lot of, a lot of speculation. Um, so, uh, i think yeah there's there's sometimes a fine line between self confidence self belief arrogance com- um all, all those sorts of um commonly trotted out tropes but yeah I, I i hope he does well um and i think i'm i'm right in saying that you know he's he's a player who could definitely hold his own at a, at a top level um but yeah i mean he's he's not the only one in in this um in this Valencia team who's who's sort of of that 19 20 years old um bracket because you know you've got Hugo Guillamon, uh the centre back who used to captain Valencia's under nineteen side in, in the uh UEFA Youth League, had a few breakout games last season, um Osasuna and Espanyol, I think I recall seeing sort of good things about him. Um, but you know, this year he's made a few appearances so far. Um, he's played around a thousand minutes since about June. So you know, he's still very much in his top flight infancy, very much like Kangin Lee. But you know, what what is sort of the gist of, of Guillermo's game being sort of in a in a different position to to Musa and, and Kangin Lee? You know, uh, yeah. playing centre back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's been one on the radar for quite some time at Valencia. You know, you follow the youth football at a certain level, then. There's always certain players' names who are mentioned from the age. Ferran Torres was one of them, and and Hugo uh, Guillamon is another one of them. Um, he he was mentioned since he was like sixteen, seventeen. Really, really, just always very much same style since he came out the youth uh, setup. Very, very smooth um, on the ball. Very, very, you know, the the all the, the defender. I I I, I always call it. a lot of defenders between twenty, you know, between eighteen to twenty-three or so in Spain. Will tell you that Gerard Piqué was there, is their idol, um, which is obviously funny because Piqué is still playing, and you know, but a lot of young players looked up to him because he came out, he came out with this style. Um, perhaps before him there was, you know, there was Hierro, the other Spaniard who, who who played in in that manner. But for a lot of young players, it was Piqué and and On very much players in that style quite a tall player as well, so similar stature to Pique, um, but he, you know, so he's, he's strong, he's got physical physical aspects, but also very technically profound. Um, very good long balls, very good passing range. Um, yeah, just a, a really, really modern centre-back, and he's another one who, you know, at one point it looked like he was moving away as well, and his contract wasn't sorted. Real was sniffing around, and so for Athletic Bilbao, uh, Game One has some Basque links there, so they were considering moving for him as well, um, but he ended up staying renewing at Valencia. I think he was told that, basically that there's going to be no other centre backs at the club, so we're going to need you anyway. Garay was going, um, so he, you know he was he was pretty much told you know that uh, he would be really important uh, next season and, and be Gabriel Paulista's uh, partner, and and that's pretty much been the case. And he looks a very very uh, good player for Valencia, and somebody they can trust um, moving forward I think um, and I think this is you know he's going to get a lot of minutes this year I think as well which is important in his growth and he's still only 20 and I think he'll be one a lot of clubs he he's be looking at in the next few years if Valencia continue to operate like this as a club and, and, and sell players on
0: yeah he strikes me as a sort of similar player to Sven Botman who signed for Lille um in the in the summer uh, i think yeah. he signed from Ajax but he he'd been on loan at Herenvin in the Eredivisie and he's similar in in the sense that you know he's very comes up very good in sort of your old school defensive metrics you know your clearances uh, your tackles that sort of thing um and obviously much of that is down to the function of the side that that, that you're playing in um, and I wouldn't necessarily categorise Valencia as a team who are, you know, g- great at keeping possessions. So, you know, he naturally, he's going to do more defensive work. Um, but, you know, he's, he, he's up to the test. You know, he could have been completely blown out of the water by the, the La Liga challenge, but he hasn't been. And I think that's, that's, you know the the minimum that you can expect from from um, from a, a young player who's going to go all the way and and sort of make a career of it in the first team um, is is having that resilience or and consistency when they first come into the team. Um, one thing that I did notice about Guillemin, um is that he does pick up quite a few bookings um, and. Yeah, he is sort of a, more of an aggressive defender um, than than most, and I, I think that comes with you know, that comes with the territory of of being a sizeable presence on the pitch. Anyway, um, but is that something that perhaps could could maybe hinder him in in in, in future?
1: Yeah, yeah, potentially it's something that needs um, shaping. I think in his game, he is uh, quite an aggressive player. He's got three yellow cards in La Liga um, this season, um, and you know he's. He's making about I think it's just under two fouls per game on average. So yeah, he's somebody who needs to learn more in terms of his uh, his anticipation, um, and his intelligence in in that sense. Um, you know I think there's very few areas of his game that I'm I'm not a fan of. But yeah, I'd probably say that one. But it's understandable for somebody so young. I think probably just a bit over eager, lacking that anticipation, um, and calmness. And I think he's always wanting to. To get rid um of, of the ball and to make sure and to clear it in and to get in and make sure there's no danger um you know, so yeah, yeah, he is a little bit too aggressive um at times, but there's a lot I think to admire about him you know if you if you look at Valencia this season, um there's nobody averaging more clearances per game, for instance, I think he's in about five, I think it's five point three clearances per game average. Uh, per 90 he's he's managing at the moment um highest uh, um in the squad gabriel is next on 4.3 so you can see that you know his influence already in his job you know he's very much you know happy to dig in like that so yeah i think there will be the um odd foul or so um if he's still doing the same when he's 23 24 then that's when i'll start to raise questions i think
0: I think from from the brief sort of clips that I've seen of, of Guillermo and, and Valencia this season, you know, he does seem to be quite a withdrawn uh, defender. So like when he's defending, he doesn't exactly sort of come out and meet the challenge. You'll wait yeah. until it sort of enters into his zone and then sort of uses that as uh, the pressing trigger to be like, right, that's it. You're not coming any further. So mm-hmm. I think, I mean, you say he kind of uses PK as his mould. Um, I don't know. It just, to me, it kind of just looks as though, you know, he'd be a very good defender in, um, in sort of like, I don't know, like a poor Premier League team where you're up against it a lot. You're in in a low block. Um, you're, you're required to make lots of aerial duels, lots of clearances, lots of tackles, kind of just being that buffer that, you know, you're not coming any further type player. Uh, You you mentioned that he's actually quite good on the ball as well. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's something that he should, I don't know, perhaps try and develop a little bit more with these minutes that he's going to get this season Um, because ultimately he doesn't want to get stuck as that, you know, he's a very good defender's defender, but, you know, he he wants to be that, more expansive um expansive player if circumstances change you yeah. know if he if he if Valencia had a new manager wanted to play more expansively from the back you know he he wouldn't exactly want to to feel as though his side in the uh, his place in the side was threatened because he'd been sort of defending backs against the wall for so long. do you think that i don't know his is his passing's good enough to to sort of hold up
1: um I think all aspects of his game given his age can do with some improvement. Um, but I think it's something he'll continue to work on. Um, it reminds me, I think, of I Nunez at Athletic Bilbao. He was largely a more physical player um, at youth levels in Athletic, um, using his strength, um, lots of tackles, lots of fouls, very aggressive player, I thought. And then when he came in the first team, I thought he was going to be, obviously, I thought he was going to be that player, but he started to show he was more competent on the ball than, than previously shown at youth level, and he... He was encouraged to show that more, so I can see that happen with Guillaumeon as well. That that, he, um, that he's encouraged to to use the ball um, more. I mean, at the moment, I would probably say um, Gabriel is the definitely the the lead passer um, in terms of defense. You know, he takes more of the ownership. Um if you look at him, uh, Gabriel's on about I think it's forty four point five passes per game average a game right now, um, and Guillaumeon's only on thirty eight point two, so just slightly Gabriel's taken the the lead as being in the you know the ball playing center back, but gumon's um kind of shown that he is that as well, and I think it's something he'll want to do when he grows and as he grows as the years go by and he grows and becomes more of a senior figure
0: the before we finish there's this one one individual player that I'd like to discuss um a, a little bit more um and 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 that's gonzalo gage because he is uh he's twenty three for another two weeks i think uh or at least another week so um, you know, we, we'll be able to uh, slip him in just briefly. Um, but you know, he's he's a player who has this individual quality, which is probably unparalleled in this Valencia squad. You know, but it's it's. I think you'll you'll agree with me in saying that you know it's it's on show far too fre infrequently um, for him to be considered a top top prospect still. Um, you know, he's he's turning 24 this year, but as you know, he's just got three La Liga goals since the beginning of last season. Mm -hmm. Um, you know Valencia spent something like 40 million euros on him um, when they bought him around two years ago you know I I suppose what I'm asking is and this is probably coming from a place of I'm just disappointed because I kind of hung my hat on him a few years ago as as being a top top player uh, for the future but I suppose really what I'm asking is what's what's gone wrong there is is it something that's rectifiable is it a club issue or is it something that that it's down to the player himself
1: I think it's a lot with the player himself. Um, you know, um, and obviously there's problems at Valencia, as we all know, and there's a bit of instability there. Um, but he's just—it's just really, really frustrating that he hasn't grown and 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 seemingly shown a desire to improve, improve himself as a player and and, and progress. Um, he's battling with y you, you know. Um, and that's something he shouldn't be doing. It should be Guedes' spot should be his every single week. He's, he's a far better player and far more explosive player than, than Guedes as well. Um, and he just doesn't really seem to progress or, or to kick on as a player. There was spells where I was living in Valencia and Guedes was their best player. I genuinely thought they had the second coming of David Villa at times. Some mm-hmm. of his finishing, some of his explosiveness, some of his, the way he, he drove in from that left um, wing and come inside to shoot, to, to link play was sensational. Um, I've not seen anything like it since. Um, he's had some injuries and I think injury, a couple of injuries hurt him as well. His fitness never seems to be fully there. Um, when he is in the squad, he just doesn't really seem to show any desire. And it's it's worrying, it's concerning and he's getting overtaken. You know, you look at somebody like Joao Felix, who for me has been the best player in the league this season. um, Guedes easily could have been there as well, I think. And he's been been overtaken in his own country. A few years ago, people were watching probably his Portuguese were probably watching Guedes thinking, oh, we've got our Ronaldo uh, replacement in ready here and and now it's probably Joao Felix. And, And that could have been Guedes, but, you know, injuries, yes, like I said. But I think a lot rest with the player. I don't think he's trying hard enough. I don't think he's putting himself um, about enough to, to improve or to excel. He just seems to be happy or you know, bobbing around at this level that he is right now. Or maybe he's unhappy, but he's just unwilling to do anything about it, which is really frustrating.
0: It's a cruel game. It's a really cruel game. That's the answer I didn't want to hear. I wanted to hear that this was yet another example of Valencia's <laughs> structural problems that were, were wasting a generational talent. But no, I, I I agree with you there. I think that's that's the impression that that I've got over the past few years. And sort of just looking up his statistics, you know, he's got 0.09 f- expected assists per 90, 0.09 Uh, non-penalty expected goals per 90 you know put those together you're getting a goal goal or assist on average once every five games so you know over the course of a season you've got what three goals and two assists it's it's not great it really isn't great um for for a player with his with his natural talent um which is a shame it's a real shame um but ultimately we 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 live in hope (laughs) we live in hope um and and it's been a year for hope i tell you um the big news that that came out today uh, just briefly um was was that la liga will be imposing uh, a salary cap uh on on its clubs and obviously Valencia have had, you know, their own issues and, and troubles with, you know, the financial side of things. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have seen the fire sale in the summer. You know, Parejo and Cocalan sold for what was it, eleven, twelve million euros combined. Um, if it wasn't for the um, financial situation at the club, what do you? Th- I mean, as a general point, what do you th- see this cap doing to the landscape of the league? But also, what do you see it doing to to Valencia as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be really, really important for a lot of teams. Um you know, keeping, you know, their finances in order. I think a lot of them are really, really um going ho. I think a lot of the time and now there's kind of, you know, being a readjustment there, you know, in, in terms of clubs getting in line because there's been so much mismanagement, I think. Um and every like the pandemic has hit everyone. But you know, and some have ridden it out really, really well. I think, um, and some really, really needed this to come in, um, to to help them. Um, but I think a lot of clubs will complain and say it's too hard to to hit this. But I think it's with an idea of just making sure the clubs don't fall into debt, that clubs just don't, you know, you, you know, become defunct because it's, it's very viable. The clubs can happen right now. It's more than ever the likelihood of, it is happening, um. So, yeah, I think there's been, you know, it's a drop of like over 600 million in total. Vars is down nearly 300 million. I think Real Madrid, 170. I let it go down by 126 as well. So the salary caps are all coming down. Nobody's is going up. Um, Players, re- uh, teams, sorry, really, really have to adjust. Players can't be on these wild wages anymore because um, it's going to destroy clubs in this current situation. Um, But, you know, I think. You look at the teams who come up: Huesca, Cardiff, Elche. They haven't spent crazy. They haven't done crazy things. They know they can't, um, and, and this is going to help them. They know they're well inside it. It's going to help them, I think, because they have to move in you know in these austerity waters of austerity, basically. And and, and they're doing well at the top end. The Basque clubs always really well run. Athletic Real Sociedad, I think they're well placed as well. But Valencia are probably going to have to do, you know, we're on a Valencia podcast here. So yeah, yeah, I think Valencia are going to have to sell a little bit more. I was looking, I think there's about 26 to 30 million worth of sales. They're going to have to hit in January again. So there's more players probably going to have to go, even with Condogbia, um, you know, of course, gone as well. That isn't the end of it. I think they might have to sell one more, two more. Kangin I mean, Lee could potentially be one of the players. So yeah, I think bottom line is, it's, I think it's a good thing overall that these teams can, uh, you know,
0: have a bit of structure. Yeah, that's the impression that I got. I mean, I saw sort of the 600 million uh, figure and uh, immediately a lot of that does get absorbed sort of by the, the big two in, in Barca and Real. But I mean, you know, 100 million knocked off Atleti's wage bill. That's that's quite a hit. And, you know, a seven-year contract for gel Felix isn't looking too smart unless he does become sort of the second coming of Ronaldo, as, as you just touched yeah.
1: on. I mean, we've got to remember the cap's been there. It's been there since 2013. Um, but it's been reduced this year this has come out now because of everything that's gone on with COVID so this cap is you know that it's based on teams earnings um, you know if they're bringing in lower money then the cap has to be low too it has to be in line with that because a lot of the clubs in the past haven't been bringing in enough money through items outside of sales you can't just rely upon selling every single year because you're going to run out of players to sell and teams have found that as well they haven't got any assets to sell anymore um, so it's kind of in line with that. they're just saying basically don't live beyond your means it's it is a preventative measure because some teams are really really some clubs are are really really poorly run,
0: yeah, and I think that's reflected sort of across the leagues really um but I think yeah it's 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 big news and and hopefully it won't it'll it'll um It'll ensure that the the sustainability of these clubs is is more viable, um, rather than sort of seeing them fall by the wayside or seeing more more situations like um Deportivo a few a few years ago, um. So yeah, hopefully that can be. Uh, can be a catalyst for change, hopefully. Uh, so that just uh, finishes things on uh, the scouted football podcast for today. Um, thank you very much to, to David for joining me again on this one. Um, it's, it's his third time. So, you know, it's, it's a bit of a hat trick on, on the scouted football podcast, perhaps the first time we've seen it actually. Um, so yeah, a little bit of history being made here. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure to, to speak about Valencia and sort of a few wider issues in, in La Liga as well. Um, if you do like the, the podcast, please do consider leaving us a review or, or just simply just word of mouth telling a friend or family member you know to, to check us out would be hugely, hugely appreciated. We have just released the eighth volume of the Print Scouted Football Handbook with a fantastic cover art of Ryan Gravenberch of AFC Ajax on the front, courtesy of Matthew Shipley. Um, that is chock full of, yet again, uh, 25 profiles of the, the best and the brightest uh, young players in world football. Uh, David, do you actually uh, do you have a, a profile in our latest uh, handbook?
1: Indeed, I do. Um, I had the honour of doing the, the Ansu Fati profile. Of
0: course, of course.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to everybody reading that. And I was really excited about their doing that one. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to my copy hasn't even arrived yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing that in in print and um i guess i can say it here as well because it's it's okay here to keep your eyes on the scouted football website as well because i'll have a little article on a certain portuguese player coming very soon
0: very very interesting mysterious i won't uh, give the game <laughs> away either um so uh, yeah but uh, definitely uh, check out the website check out uh, the books check out more podcast episodes um because we will continue to be uh, putting this out there but in the meantime thank you very much for tuning in um thank you very much to david uh stay safe and bye for now